Welcome to the Commentary Magazine Daily Podcast. Today is Friday, January 28th, 2022. I'm John Podhortz, the editor of Commentary Magazine. With me, as always, executive editor Abe Greenwald. Hi, Abe. Hi, John. Senior writer Christine Rosen. Hi, Christine. Hi, John. And associate editor Noah Rothman. Hi, Noah. Hi, John. So um, as the masking madness and confusion and upset uh, continues or continue... I guess. I don't know if was that a plural or a singular. It's always hard to speak grammatically when you uh, add a lot of uh, items to your list. Um, I want to tell you about an ad that's on a local New York station from Dr. Dave Choksi, the city's doctor, as he calls himself. He's like the head of the New York City, you know, health or mayors, whatever. And he does a lot of commercials about Every week, there's a new commercial about the pandemic. And this commercial was about how we have now, here are the masks you should be wearing. And then 94, Q23, and XN, you know, 500 Fireball, and of course, the KN95. And then he says, we are no longer, it is no longer recommended that you wear a cloth mask. Cloth masks are not helpful in uh in preventing the spread of covid uh you should disposable masks are better here's something you can try he says take a cloth mask and put it over your disposable mask to hold your disposable mask in place and thus your disposable mask will not move and it therefore you will then so we are now advising the head of the largest city in America's COVID response team is recommending that people double mask at a time when masking is getting increasingly controversial so that the second ineffectual mask is used as a weight to hold down the first more important mask. We are approaching the end of January 2022. Uh, We were told to mask up, I believe, at the end of March 2020. Uh, And uh, the double masking protocol that we all remember from when was that? Last year is now back. But as a here's how you can really make sure that the seal of your disposable mask is really good. Put a cloth mask over it. John, I, I detect a note of incredulity in your commentary, and I can only conclude that you want schools to close and people to die. Of this course, is, I want people to die. This is Noah. just best practice. Think of the children, John. Can I quote from a Prince George's County official here in Maryland that that um, shows that the real game, the long game for a lot of these folks is masking forever. It doesn't really matter the quality of the mask. It's a control mechanism. And this, uh, this official basically posted um, in response to what has started to be more of a um, snowball rolling down the hill critique of, of permanent masking said, the only off ramp I want is the one where COVID no longer exists. I don't think that that off ramp will exist. So basically, and this was in response to a question about what is the what's the off ramp for permanent masking, particularly for very young children in schools. There's your answer. And that answer was it was rare in part because it was completely honest. But the policymakers are are doing this uh, without being honest, um, particularly in schools. And they're not they're basically saying, even if they're only 10 percent effective, we've got to have the 10 percent and never weighing the risk and benefit of masks, particularly for children. So a very uncharitable 
you know, way to interpret this is to say that it's just an exercise of power for its own sake. A slightly more charitable thing would be to say that people really do believe that this is helpful uh, and imperative, and we have a moral responsibility to the people around us. And so this is just something we have to do in perpetuity because it's, it's good for you, it's good for me, it's good for everyone. And if you don't do it, you're kind of a bad person. That's not really an excuse for that kind of behavior. It's an ex- it's it's a diagnosis. This is a psychological problem. It's it's paranoid. It's mania. So well, it's no, not as I, though we can't we can't allow that to to you know go on just because their hearts are in the right place. They have to be shaken out of it. No, I saw that earlier today. You had a uh, you tweeted something. Uh, there was a poll of uh, voters' concerns uh, prioritized. And Democrats, a, a plurality, I think, showed that COVID is still their number one concern. Right? Majority. Always oh, a majority. There you go. So there is there is a significant contingent of of this paranoid factor out there. Yeah. Then they I, wouldn't. We were talking uh, about polls earlier that said that most people think that this is going to go wor- get worse over the course of this year. All evidence notwithstanding, and most of them are Democrats. But then they wouldn't then if that were the case, if it really was, if we want to do the charitable interpretation, say they're worried about people's lives, they really are worried about people's lives here. That's why they want permanent masking. There should be no um, you, you should no longer be allowed to go to any social event in a public space. You should no longer be able to dine in a dining room. You should only do takeout that because the, it's the inconsistency that's starting to strike a lot, certainly a lot of parents, because your kid has to wear a mask eight hours a day in school. But the teachers who are insisting on that and the administrators who are insisting on it will leave school, go to a bar, take off their mask and hang out for three hours talking in, directly to someone who's sitting right next to them. But the kids in their school are forced to sit outside in the cold on the ground and not speak between bites. It's ridiculous. That's the hypocrisy. And I just have to add, because it's been a consistent theme, if it really were about lives at risk, all of these elected officials would constantly be masked. But we, from Nancy Pelosi to Muriel Bowser and many other mayors, we've seen them out partying, even when restrictions were still pretty serious. And before there were higher vaccination rates, they don't take it seriously themselves. Why should we believe them? I uh, I have, uh, as you guys know, I've now become uh, part of the um, population in America uh, with uh, with a dog. So I now have a dog. And uh, I walk the dog. I'm walking the dog many times a day uh, because it's a puppy and we're trying to get her house broken and it's not going very well, but we're out and, you know, Godspeed to us. It's cold. And anyway, the reason I bring this up is because um, walking along Riverside Drive in, 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 on the Upper West Side of New York, uh, there aren't a lot of people. Right. There's a, it's a it, it, there's a, a long boulevard. You know, it's not it's not really a street. It's the end of the it's sort of the end of the West Side. And there's sort of a long, unbroken promenade, uh, you know, so you don't have to stop at traffic lights and stuff like that. And it's a it's a, you know, 10 block, 12 block, 14 block promenade. And there aren't a lot of people on it who aren't walking dogs or sometimes they're delivery guys on mopeds or whatever. And um, and ast- and it's night or daytime, whatever. And um, astonishing number of people are masked up as they're walking their dogs. They're outside, and they are very unlikely to have interactions with anybody outside. I mean, they'll have interactions with another dog owner when the dog, you know, runs up and wants to sniff the other dog or whatever. But I would say. 
half of people are where they're outside. Well, one they're note, outside in the open air. One note on this, because I'm in New York, too. In this weather, I leave my mask on outside because okay. I'm cold. Well, well, that's that's what my wife says, and she says she likes it because of that. So maybe I'm being unfair and that this is essentially like a ski mask, you know, without the wool covering, you know, so you don't look like, you know, a bank robber or whatever. But um, but let's say it isn't. Let's say that's true of, you know, half of people, but not the other half. That's why I keep using the phrase over and over again on this, that people have lost the thread. We weren't obliged or obligated to wear masks outside. We haven't been obligated or obliged to wear masks outside for a very long time. And what there is now is a, is a version of the virus that is very unlikely to be harmful to you if you are vaxxed and boot, and particularly if you're vaxxed and boosted. Everybody knows people who have had Omicron and have had a very mild reaction to it and are actually relieved to have gotten it because they got through it and the vaccine helped them. And they now might, we might have antibodies from getting Omicron in addition to whatever the vaccine produces. But you, you know what I've noticed, John? Yeah. The people who are particularly scared and the, the sort of contingent that we've been talking about here, they also somehow always seem to know people, uh, at least by some remove, who uh, got Omicron and it was serious. Uh, I hear that from them. My so uh, I just want to finish. friend's son. Right. Yeah, you know. but okay. So Delta was when people got breakthrough uh, cases with the Delta variant, that was more likely to have a serious effect, though very unlikely to have a serious effect. Now, it is vanishingly unlikely that Omicron will have a serious effect, except for the unvaccinated. And I am going to assume, and this, of course, is where we start getting into weird territory about how all of this is, you know, these are signposts to everybody. The people who should wear masks are the unvaccinated. Right. I mean, that, that just follow the logic. You're not going to get vaccinated because you don't trust having the vaccine in your system, blah, 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 blah. Or perhaps so, the immunocompromised and people in the lives of people who are immunocompromised, which has somehow right. become 40 percent of the American population. Right. But nevertheless. Yes. OK, but but so you need to wear a mask because you're unvaccinated. Are the unvaccinated wearing a mask? Are the unvaccinated wearing masks? No, they're probably the least likely to wear a mask. Who's the most likely to wear a mask? People who are vaxxed and boosted is my guess. That's why we've lost the thread. The thread has been lost. People are, it would be as though you're in a car and you put on a seatbelt and then you strap on a harness and then you activate the airbag to drive. I mean, you can drive with an airbag. I probably can't drive with an airbag, but you know, you you understand my, my, my analogy here. If you are the sort of person who drives with a seatbelt very cautiously, yeah, you know, like the logic of where we are here doesn't make sense. And what you have is an entire public health apparatus that can affect the behavior of can affect condition 
and control very easily the behavior of people who, who are not in need of that control and have increasingly negative effects, opposite effects, on the people who may need to hear what it is they have to say. That is the condition that we are in 21 months into the pandemic, right? I mean, I think this weekend or something will mark the first time that there were sort of public discussions of something weird going on in Wuhan two years ago. That's where we are, and that is why we are in such a maddened condition. And uh, why the point is that the people who are masked can get increasingly disenchanted with the masking regime if it goes on and is not altered. We're seeing that with parents. We're seeing that with all the, okay. We are not going to see it in the other direction. We're not going to see people like us say, I guess, you know, I guess, I mean, maybe if there's a terrible variant that is so dangerous that the vaccines are ineffective and it kills you and we'll do whatever we have to do, though I imagine on on that point, we will consider masking inefficient until the day and we will go back into lockdown, not not just mask wearing. Well, so to Abe's point, that poll that said, you know, 51 percent of Democrats say the pandemic is the top issue facing the country. Only 13 percent say it's inflation and it's reversed for Republicans. 44 percent of Republicans say inflation, 19 percent say the pandemic is, in my view, attributable to the fact that where most Republicans live, the pandemic is a non-issue. It doesn't interfere in your daily life. You barely encounter it. And when you do encounter it, it's primarily in institutions that are government run, um, which crystallizes the problem for you. Uh, Not the case in Democratic dominated locales where this has become a self-reinforcing social norm. And as you said earlier, before we started doing this podcast, John, you're starting to see cracks in the consensus around the pro-masking regime, not the other way around. And it's being bitterly resisted, uh, you you know, uh, really influential people within the the liberal ecosystem, folks like Chris Hayes and New York Times reporter or or opinion writer Michelle Goldberg, both of whom have been maximalists over the course of this pandemic, now gently questioning the scientific rationale for masking children to the sound of gnashing teeth and garment rending for people for whom this has become a way of life. Uh, They're just going to have to have it ripped out from under them. And if they want to do this themselves as a matter of personal choice, that should be an option. It should also just be voluntary and not imposed on everyone else. That's what they resent. That's what they hate. Yeah. Yeah. It is an option. People in Southeast Asia have been masking and unmasking and masking and unmasking since 1997 in response to outbreaks of flu or this or that or the other thing. Uh, You know, one of the oddities of uh, life in New York is that um, you see a lot of people, you know, in your daily life in a way that people don't other places because you ride on subways or mass transit or you're in very large crowds a lot of the time, right? So before the pandemic, you would see people on the subway wearing masks. They were almost exclusively Asian. They were, and 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 that was because they had been through some, you know, because of SARS and the bird flu, whatever. Um, they had lived through something very much like what we live through now and a lot of it took with some people and so the minute that they get a sniffle or you know they don't feel there's something they put a mask on and that could be a permanent condition of american life among a certain cohort of people after this is all over 
you can see how that would happen. Uh, they take security in it. They're hypochondriacal. They're worried about getting colds. Like, you know, people who are, you know, who, sorry, people who don't ever want to shake anybody else's hand for fear that they'll get germs or something like that. That's a, a non-negligible number of people. And they now will have a socially acceptable, indeed, even socially desirable form of behavior that will be theirs to choose. Nobody denies that as a right. And nobody denies a parent's right to mask up a kid in school if the parent thinks that that's what's best for the kid's health. It is precisely this, the imposition of it from above and the insistence on it by authorities that is creating the single most libertarian moment of my lifetime, as far as I can tell. Vast numbers of people who simply have decided that not only do they not trust what authorities are telling them, but they believe that the words that are coming out of the authorities' mouth are uh, corrupted, uh, that they are that they have ulterior motive, and that the last thing they're going to do is listen to them. But there's a third component there too, though, which is that a lot of what we have, uh, what skeptics of some of the masking regimes have been saying for quite some time now, and and they are probably more off, more likely than not to be on the conservative or Republican side of the aisle than than the Democratic side of the aisle. We're told time and time again, you're spreading misinformation. This is going to harm people. You want children to die. I mean, over and over and over again. And now our friend Josh Krashauer, who was on the podcast earlier this week, pointed out this morning, he said, you know, the timing of this is interesting, right? The Post publishes an op-ed from medical experts saying end mask mandates. Then the Atlantic does, the next day, the Atlantic has a big piece about this. Then NPR, and then as, as Noah said, a columnist in the New York Times, um, all of a sudden the dam is breaking, but that itself is a, is, is a reason why the suspicions a lot of us had about the public health establishment and its lackeys in the media is heightened. It's not like I find that reassuring. I'm glad they're coming around to reason, but we were all saying the same thing six months ago and we were called horrible people for doing it, questioning the science, et cetera, et cetera. So that is another reason why I think the mainstream cultural conversation about masking has been on two tracks for a very long time, one side has been saying we should have the freedom to choose. The other side has been saying quite more draconian things about it, saying you want people to die. You're a terrible human being. And that's those are two very different tracks. I I am more sympathetic to this to the second track than you might think. I just think and I'm not even talking about science now. I'm talking about math or I'm talking about statistics. I think that we came to understand sometime in the summer during the Delta surge that if you were following the science and watching the math and seeing what was going on, that the, that the arguments that Delta had figured out a way to, kill, to, to escape the confines of the vaccines or to, or to really hurt you was not happening. Those studies, the, the famous study that studies that fell apart, the Provincetown Bear Week study that suggested that all these vaccinated people were somehow now getting, you know, bad COVID fell apart under, under momentary scrutiny. And that we were the ones who believed in the science. The science said the vaccinations work. They were never obliterative. They was never, they were never going to obliterate. The virus. No vaccine obliterates a virus or a disease 
without a couple of generations, it takes a couple of generations for smallpox to be eradicated by the, you know, it takes a generation or more for polio to be effectively eradicated. The mRNA vaccines, which aren't, which aren't even vaccines in the, you know, in the traditional sense, were not there to obliterate or end the vaccine. They did what they were supposed to do. We were told to take off our masks by Biden in whenever that was, May. I don't remember when he said it. And he was right. And he remained right. And then, and then Delta came along, and then Omicron came along, and nothing has shaken my sense that we had ameliorative effects. It was time to take the mask off. And, you know, I have kids in school. They're wearing masks because I can't, you know, I mean, that's, that's the way until the consensus of the elites change. Uh, you have to live as an extreme nonconformist or a you know counterculturalist to get into this fight, to have this fight. But this is we're right. I mean, and we're right based on the science. They're the they're the ones who are making talisman. Here's uh, let me finish I, I just because I'm like rant about I'll forget my point. Back in 2020, when there was the hydrochloroquine craze or the this or the that and all that, you know, it's the horse medicine, all of that. There was something a little talismanic about the idea that, oh, I've got this alternative therapy. I'm going to use this and this is going to cure me. And they're not letting you have it because they want, they want, they have a multi-billion dollar profit motive or something like that. There was something a little talismanic about the idea that there was a, you know, there were special magical drugs out there that you could purpose for this purpose and cure yourself. And uh, and they weren't letting you have them because, uh, you know, uh, conventional Western medicine didn't like whatever it was. I don't I don't even know. Now we know the vaccines work. There's the New York State study that had it that 15 times the number if you're in, in hospital, it, it, you're you're the likelihood of somebody being in a hospital for covid was 15 times greater if you were va- unvaccinated than if you were vaccinated. And we still don't have the firm numbers on how many people who are having serious hospitalizations who have COVID are there because of COVID or they're there because they came in with other conditions and have COVID. And they are therefore put in the COVID ledger as opposed to the, you know, I don't know what, what other reason you're hospitalized for long, you know, kid dialysis or what, whatever. Okay. So they were, there was talismanic behavior on the, on the right. Trump was a bit of a talismanic person always has been. And now it's talismanic behavior on the left. We're the ones who are following the science. We're the ones who are following the longitudinal epidemiological data. They're not. That's why this is, this is, this is another manifestation of a problem that is extraordinarily frustrating for conservatives, which is that liberals and conservatives live in two different political time zones. By the time that news of a real crisis or some sort of breakthrough or a genuine development that isn't good for the liberal for the for the elite gets gets to the liberal elite, conservatives have been living with that information. For ages, this 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 is the case of the crime and anti-policing. 
This was the, on a smaller scale, the issue with Andrew Cuomo, and it is the case with masking. It's going to be the case with children in COVID. There will be a point where there will be this revelation uh, among liberals that, 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 uh, that, that children are, in fact, extraordinarily less likely to get sick from COVID. But it, it, it is like trying it is similar to the frustration of trying to do business with someone in another time zone. It's like you can't meet it to say, you know, you're 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 on other parts of the world, which is exactly where we are. And that's why it's going to take <clears throat> conflict to um, surgically excise these masking regimes from the places that cling to them as talismans, um, because it's not data driven. It's it's superstitious. And superstitions are, are difficult to, to remedy. The problem is, is that this is part of a democratic I, I source of identity now. We can't be right. They spent two years saying we were lunatics who were ignoring the data and just you know operating on the basis of conspiracy theories. They were the responsible ones. They were the smart ones. They were listening to the experts. We can't be right. That would be traumatic. It would it would it would cast you asunder. You would literally be adrift in a sea without a source of uh, identity, anything to moor you to something concrete as a part of your community. It would be traumatic. So there has to be trauma involved. And that's what we're seeing in in Virginia um, with increasing ferocity as parents force through through lawfare, through protest, through whatever mechanisms are available to them to force these schools to abandon their their mask mandates. You're also going to see it in for adults in in uh, there's going to be future conflict as well. So in San Francisco, they announced that they're going to you know ease some of the indoor mask restrictions if you're vaccinated, but vaccination means boosted as well. So they're changing the goalpost there. You can't just have two shots. You also also have to booster, and that's going to lead to conflict as well. Like you, everyone in those settings has to prove that they've been boosted if they want to take their masks off. Well, they um, have to have to relax the indoor mask mandate in San Francisco because how else are people going to shoplift effectively? I mean, <laughs> we really want to make the world safer, you know, for the shoplifters and and you know, you're really you're really hampering their ability to breathe if they need to run out of the store carrying a 65-inch flat screen. The shoplifters are the ones they they're the ones who need masks. Well, that's right. true. It's a bandito that's mandate. Yeah. Well, and I will say San Francisco, another liberal city run by a liberal mayor who uh, herself was caught during, you know, the I think during the Delta spike, partying at a bar, listening to jazz with no one masked, even though there was an indoor mask mandate. So another nice blue state hypocrite. Look, I just think that you have um, you have an interesting reversal and uh, not to get into sort of Trump bashing or anything like that, but. Trump lost the 2020 election because he was inconstant and weird about COVID, uh, I think, in large measure. And I'm not saying, by the way, that the, 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 the same is now happening in reverse with the Democrats. Their behavior in relation to the information we have about the variants and how they affect people is inconstant and weird. They are, and they are now just simply trying to use raw power to achieve their ends that are now divorced from the science, right? So right uh, as of today, Friday, there's going to be a hearing here in New York State about the stay of the judge's ruling that said that the governor of New York State did not have the constitutional authority to impose a statewide mask mandate. That ruling came down on Monday. On Tuesday, uh, a uh, an appeals court or superior court 
stayed the ruling, uh, in, you know, in anticipation of a hearing today in which they can present their arguments. I don't really understand how on earth Hochul's argument can prevail. She does not have the authority to have done this as a simple matter. But um, it became axiomatic for her and for the attorney general of the state that this was something they had to fight tooth and nail, not use it as an escape valve. You'll notice that Biden very quietly used the Supreme Court's ruling on the OSHA mandate as an escape valve. Last week, they just very quietly said they weren't fighting it. They weren't going to look for legislation, nothing. The, the mask mandate, the OSHA mask mandate is over. It's gone. Did you see headlines about it? Did you see anybody make an announcement? They overreached. It didn't work. It was a stupid uh, idea that was promulgated to deal with a political problem at the moment that it came out because people said Biden hadn't been paying enough attention. And so he decided to pay too much attention and they just let it drop. And you could have done that in New York State. Kathy Oka could have said, I, there must be a state mask mandate. And then a judge says, nah. And then she was going, okay, well, all right. I understand. You know, we, we, we tried <laughs> and, uh, and, and a, a judge has ruled and we're just going to go along with the judge. No, they have to fight it tooth and nail. Um, and they are, you know, so, so I don't see how this ends all that well for them, but it also is not going to end up all that well for us because this skepticism that all of this is introducing in an enormously large number of people. Yeah, a lot of them were already very anti-government. A lot of them were already very skeptical of power and all of that. And maybe it's a good thing because people should view their government with more skepticism than they do. Or, you know, maybe that's a that's a that's a decent thing in, in some large poor thing. But I'm not see I'm not kidding when I say the the libertarian overhang. And if you're a libertarian, congratulations. And if you're not a libertarian like me, then you're, you know, though you though you see some value in certain kinds of libertarian ideas, uh, you know, feel much more ambiguously about this. We just don't know where this is going to go. I mean, any president gets up and says anything. We already know that half the country isn't going to believe what he says or is going to is, is going to oppose what he says. This is a different quality. This is now we have now accepted that Anthony Fauci comes out the most, you know, most trusted person in America. And he says 70 percent is herd immunity. Then he's like, eh, I can edge that number up to 80 or 90 or something like that. Now we're at 83 percent of people having had at least one dose in, in the United States over the age of either five or 12. And, and the words herd immunity are no longer being used anywhere in, the, in America. I mean, <laughs> when we may already have achieved herd immunity in this sense, which is that everybody who was vaccinated is not at risk from Omicron. Is we that should, herd immunity? We should probably talk and talk about the Fauci profile, which illustrates the problem that the public health apparatus has made for itself. But uh, while understanding that there is no uh, you know, idea of where, what direction or how this will manifest this, you know, fear, mistrust of not fear, mistrust of authority will, will manifest in a generation that grows up under this regime. Um, you know, we've lived through enough libertarian moments to know how they end. There's no leader in this movement. It's a, it's a definitionally leaderless movement. And so the people with the most profile end up becoming very extreme. So we'll have a libertarian moment and then somebody comes out and says, end the borders or, you know, re return the gold standard. And, you know, money's a lie, something like that. And then the libertarian movement ends. Uh, and you can expect to see that, too. So it's more reasonable to expect 
a conservative moment. Yes? Something that sort of straddles the divide a little bit? Maybe. I mean, stranger things have happened. The problem is that, generally speaking, uh, the aftermath of crises don't end up like being um, having a sort of rational there's no rational advance to be gotten things go in a corkscrew direction they go in ways that you can't anticipate and i'd also say that in 2022 the the inevitable i think you're right the inevitable extremist libertarian who's going to emerge in 2022 um has a lot better chance of gaining some purchase than someone like that ever would have before like they're they're sort of due for their for their extreme superstar you know, the, the right is, has them, the left yeah. has them. Yeah. I mean, the problem is <clears throat> libertarianism is fundamentally, you know, anar- you know, it's an anarcho-syndicalist. So leaders, leaders are already anathematic to libertarianism in some fundamental sense. So, you know, which is why populism, populism craves leaders and libertarianism hates leaders. So, you know, a leader, a libertarian leader is almost like an, you know, a contradiction in terms, let's talk a little bit about this Fauci profile in the Washington Post, very long, very big profile, you know, uh, of the old school profile, you know, begins at his door when he opens the door to the reporter and he says, can we close the door quickly so they can't take my picture? They're all outside, paparazzi, whatever. And it's all about, you know, the torment of being Anthony Fauci because no one trusts him anymore and people are, you know, putting him on kill lists and, uh, and uh, he gets yelled at when he goes and testifies before Congress by two doctors who are in Congress who are just so terrible to him. And, uh, you know, he, he he it's not him. It's not about him, he says. It's he can take it. It's not that. It's that it's just he doesn't understand how people, you know, can just believe untruths, just total untruths and and how how they can believe untruths. Okay. This is the man who began this period of American history by telling a deliberate untruth, by saying you do not, in the case of a pandemic, we don't want you to mask because he was worried that there would be a run on masks and there wouldn't be enough PPE for the healthcare workers. He be- inaugurated this period with a lie he told to the American people. And two years later, he has the gall, the nerve, the unmitigated balls to say that his problem here is that the American people just can't trust the science or 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 believe in lies. But it's worse than that, because I mean, I would call this is this is the second or third in a series of profiles that could be called profiles in male vanity. This guy posed in July of 2020 on InStyle magazine poolside with his shades and said, well, with all due modesty, I think I'm pretty effective. I mean, it's appalling. And I remember I was railing about this to you guys when it came out and sending you links to the pictures of him looking so cool. Now, part of this, I should I should have the caveat that like half the half of my neighbors had like, we love you, Dr. Fauci signs up, which drove me absolutely nuts um, because of the cult of personality it suggested. But these profiles have been coming over and over again. He is loving the opposition. He says in this Washington Post profile, oh, I better be careful with my words because Laura Ingram will talk about me tonight on her show. He's eating it up. He sees himself as so important and so relevant. The other important point about him, besides the lie, as, as John correctly points out, that he began his his uh, public profile with is that he called himself science. He said, the reason they don't like me is that I am science. 
no, you are not science. You are a, a highly paid and and moderately ineffective bureaucrat who was a who was an a figure that arose because of the vacuum posed by Trump's inconstant public messaging about the virus. And he has not proven to be the the you know demigod he sees himself to be at this point at the end of his career. That that aside about Laura Ingram, I thought was the most important point of that uh, very long profile, and it comes at the very beginning, so it sort of colors the the profile appropriately. We've talked a lot about his noble mendacity, his vainglorious pronouncements, um, you know, his his effort to use his perch to alter American statecraft vis-a-vis Beijing, which is entirely outside his remit. Um, you know, the the ways in which he has behaved, I think, and uh, in, in ways that don't befit his station. That aside reveals a certain amount of hostility towards these conservative media venues that he has for a very long time been boycotting. Um, Fox has tried to have him on a lot, and he hasn't been on Fox for a very long time. Uh, And a human being, as a human being, I can understand why you wouldn't. You don't want to you don't want to subject yourself to that, especially if you think it's just political point scoring. You're setting yourself up to be a pinata on somebody else's program where you can't control the mic and it's it's a not an even playing field. I get that. At the same time, you're also complaining that these people just don't listen to you. Well, you're not talking to them. You hate them. You ab- you absolutely resent everything about them. And yet you're frustrated that they're not listening to you or paying attention to you when all you do is share their their somewhat deserved scorn for you it's this mutual uh you know hostility towards each other what do you expect and how on earth is that disposition going to resolve this problem you think is so paramount in american natural life you are by by any reasonable interpretation of the situation you're contributing to the problem you think is one of the paramount problems facing the nation so what's your course of action there resolve the problem or get out of the way Look, I hate to say this because I hate to, you know, offer any uh, praise, even implicit or even explicit for Michelle Goldberg. But in her column where she says uh, masking should be ended when the Omicron surge is over, which is a couple of weeks away based on the precipitous decline in the caseloads that we're seeing now. She says something very sensible. What she says is. They say we need masks because there could be new variants. Well, if there are new variants, people, kids can put the masks on again. It's like you have a cut, the cut healed. Keep the Band-Aid on because it could reopen. You know, you have a you have a broken bone. You have a cast on. The bone has mostly healed. It's time to take the, no, leave the cast on for a year in case you trip. This is madness. And it is, of course, total common sense. That's why I say we've like lost the thread. Liberals have lost the thread to say all things being equal, you shouldn't be wearing a mask. All things being equal, you shouldn't be wearing a mask. The Omicron surge is over. You could take them off right now, by the way, but the Omicron surge is over. Take off the mask. If there's a Zeta variant then the mask goes back on that's that's normal that would be a normal reaction that would be the normal thing because the normal thing should be the default is no one wears a mask the default isn't kids wear a mask and that is what the uh, prince george's county superintendent 
or I think she has a weirder title than that. She's like the chief, the CEO of Prince George's County Schools. I looked her up once again, not an elected official, not responsive to anybody, but the Prince George's County executive, as far as I can tell. And she is making school policy uh, and acting as though parents have literally no say in the policy when parents actually are the governing authorities over the schooling in Prince George's County because of property taxes and the fact they elect the executive and all of that. Uh, nonetheless, what she is saying is the default from now on should be that kids wear masks. The default should never have been that kids wear masks. The default should have been there are no masks. And then something happens and then you put a mask back on for two weeks and then you take it off again. But even even that doesn't I mean, even that sort of masking policy, if it's applied to very young children, is still an outlier I, compared to the rest of the world. The, I totally the CDC, agree. Yeah, the, right. the EU totally version agree. of the CDC doesn't say doesn't recommend masking kids under the age of 12. That's the sort of EU's version of the CDC, and they haven't been doing it. And they have had a similar experience with each of these variants as we have had here. I Look, I agree. I'm saying that if you want a moderate position that isn't, you know, everybody take their chances, then the, the, what liberals should be saying is what Michelle Goldberg is saying. Otherwise, they are just talismanic fundamentalists. That's There is no argument that kids should stay in masks even now when they don't get sick even from omicron but when omicron is gone and there is no other variant on the on the on the on the horizon now it could rise very quickly omicron rose over the thanksgiving day weekend as i recall right wasn't it, it was friday of thanksgiving day weekend that we heard oh there's some you know something's coming out of south africa very dangerous but they're not saying that I mean, Fauci could today, Biden could today say, we're burning through Omicron. It looks like we have a couple more weeks that we're going to have Omicron. After that, I recommend that every child in, in, you know, be unmasked in schools. And he could say, and if something, if other things happen, we may have to go back to it. But as you know, that's reasonable. Tell me how that's not reasonable. How is that not reasonable? Even, you know, even... It's like half a loaf, even if you, you know, it's terrible. You shouldn't have half a loaf for children. Children shouldn't be masked at all. But we live in the reality we live in. Why aren't they saying it? And the fact that they're not saying it is also setting them up for a gigantic bruising. Because um, it's like the weird thing that's going on now in Georgia. You know, this, there's this weird thing going on in Georgia, the polling in Georgia. Uh, in advance of the 2022 midterms. Two year, years of talk about the uh, injustice of, the, of, of voting in Georgia and, you know, Stacey Abrams mysteriously having been denied the 2018 gubernatorial uh, election because of voter suppression that somehow managed to suppress 50,000 votes and all that. Um. There is now polling that says that African-Americans are very skeptical that their vote is going to be counted fairly in November 2022. Where did we see that before? How did the Democrats end up in control of the Senate? Because Trump talked down the fairness of the vote in Georgia and depressed Republican turnout and Democrats won those two races that they everybody assumed they would lose on uh, on Election Day. 
that, you know, come the special election, the natural predilection is that the Republican turnout will be higher and Republicans will win. And they lost both seats because Trump caused, I don't know, I think that people did some kind of study. It was like 114,000 voters stayed home that they would have expected would have voted otherwise. And then um, I can't, uh, Purdue and uh, who was the other one? Law Warnock. Loeffler, Warnock. Yeah. Oh, anyway, yeah. right. Leffler and 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 it was a Purdue would have won. Okay, oh, so great. if that's the Atlanta now, Journal Constitution poll, that also yes. found that I think, if I remember correctly, uh, African American support for Joe Biden was down in the '60s, really low, and yeah. enthusiasm to vote among African American voters was really low. Right. And all these things are clearly connected. With the president right. spent half a month saying that elections aren't going to be basically implying elections aren't going to be legitimate unless my reforms, which are not passed, are never going to pass, pass, which is never going to happen. So why wouldn't you be despondent? Well, and this so, is the this is the rhetoric of the Jim Crow 2.0 stuff, which he ran on. He he did have that in his during his campaign. It was a, it was a uniquely divisive message in his whole I'm the unity candidate uh, shtick. But he He's been going down there and saying that Stacey Abrams, Abrams has an entire organization devoted to telling African-American voters that they're about to get screwed by the system. It's not a surprise. It's exactly the result that they think they want. But I'm, I, I've yet to see the kind of big think pieces from the mainstream media about how this population of people is uniquely stupid in the way that you know MAGA voters were for believing the lie. You will never see that. You'll see, oh, no, this might be harmful to us in the midterms. Well, yes, it will be because it, the message itself is propaganda and it's it's divisive and it's um the practical effect is not you know to to bring down your enemy it's to suppress your own voters so i bring this up only to say that in in conjunction with what i said yesterday with the uh you know astounding uh, gdp number that we saw is that biden and the democrats need to be able to purvey a positive message about their governance in the United States since the beginning of 2021 in order to stem the bleeding and maybe reverse things a little bit. And there are two places that they can do that. One is the economy right today. Yet again, uh, there are bad inflation numbers, but there are very good compensation numbers. American salaries are going up. Problem is that the salary increases are being eaten up by inflation, which is bad. But uh, but nonetheless, you can craft a narrative in which you say we're seeing economic growth of a sort that we haven't seen in decades. We're seeing wage increases and uh, job opportunities and job mobility for people and all of that. Uh, we are we are coming through the tunnel and we're going into a brighter future and you can take the mask off. That is what a rational political actor would want to do right now to flip the narrative. We own the future. America is you're going to be better off in November of 2022 than you are right now. You're not going to be wearing a mask. We're beating COVID and our economy is getting stronger and stronger. Yes, we have problems. We're not through the woods yet. We have to deal with inflation. We have to do what we can. You know, the Fed is going to have to take move, whatever it is. But that's what we need to say. And the fact that they cannot say it is itself, it's almost like a death wish. I mean, it is, it is. I think okay, it's also I, another kind of death wish. I mean, I get, and I agree with you on the political ramifications, but but the fact is here, and this goes for what we're talking about with COVID and what we're talking about with this, the, the idea that African-Americans 
can't can't actually get a, a, a fair shot at, at voting. Um, leaders are scaring the American public into victimhood and bad citizenship on both sides. And this is a huge problem. And then they turn around like Fauci did and say, I can't believe that that these people have no sense and that they're being bad citizens. I mean, they are running on bad citizenship and a loss of faith in our institutions. Yeah. So we haven't even talked about the phone call uh, between uh, President I Biden and if uh, President Zelensky of, of Ukraine. And we're, you know, 45 minutes into this. We don't really understand what happened in the phone call, I believe. Um, if I'm if I'm correct, uh, but uh, lay, lay no, out what happened you, because this was a minute by minute story. Here, you should you should in the lay five p.m. hour yesterday. If you blink, you missed it. So there was a, a, a CNN, I believe, was the first to report it that um, the president had uh, a conversation with you, his Ukrainian counterpart, uh, President Zelensky, in Kiev, where he said, and "I'm trying to find the exact quotes. I don't have them directly in front of me, but they were terrifying." Um, I suppose I can summarize. It was something to the effect of uh, an invasion is happening any minute. Um, Kiev is going to be sacked, quote, or could be sacked, quote, using that very medieval formulation for what happens when you take a city and, quote, prepare for impact. These were quotes that were produced by a CNN reporter. Um, This was subsequently confirmed, not the language per se, but certainly the sentiments by a very good Ukraine based reporter who works for BuzzFeed News. who I trust uh, and has good sources well-placed in Kiev. Uh, And then the national security spokesperson, Emily Horn from uh, this administration, the Biden administration said, that's just completely not true. Quote, anonymous sources are leaking, unquote, falsehoods. Uh, The notion here that the president said anything to this effect um, beyond the probability that Russia could invade Ukraine in February are completely false. And then the reports around what I can only assume was Kiev's version of this call that they retailed to reporters uh, just sort of disappeared. It's like nobody issued a, a retraction. Nobody tried to reconcile these two versions of events. It just kind of went away. Um, and that's, I mean, a mild version of journalistic malpractice, but malpractice nonetheless, because we do deserve some resolution to this conflict between the Ukrainian administration and the Biden administration, which comes at a point at which you're getting leaked reports out of this White House that Zelensky is just unmanageable. He's his demands are just so high, you know, facing the in dismemberment and, uh, you know, a, deca- a decapitation of his government by force. Yeah, he's just ornery. I, I, this is the sort of thing that I don't think we should allow to lie. It really frustrates me who follows this very closely, maybe not anybody else. But it's reporters' jobs when they put this out there to tell us whether it was true or not. I'm sure it's true. I'm sure some version of it is true. I don't know what if it avails the Ukrainians to be saying that he said, you know, get ready for being sacked. Sacked is where that's why I thought I did. I didn't greet this incredulously at all. Sacked to me sounded exactly like the language Father Time would use to describe an invasion and, and gird taking your loins. I mean, it has this quality of like they're having a conversation, it gets a little heated, and he's like, You better get ready, you better get ready. 
you're going to be set. Now, they're, you know, I mean, how ready he's giving them instructions. This is a country that was invaded, you know, two, two of its provinces were invaded six years. They don't need to be told to get ready. They've actually been invaded by Russia. You know, who is he lecturing? That's why it's weird. It's a weird thing that, 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 uh, um, and uh, by the way, the impatience, I think, is an important point because this is what happens when people are on the wrong side of a moral ledger. And Biden has gotten himself on the wrong side of the moral ledger here, even though we are doing mostly the right thing. Yeah, you know, we're trying to rally European op- opinion. We have people saying they're going to cancel the Nord Stream pipeline. We're doing all of this. But he, I think, mindful of the, you know, thinking defensively about Afghanistan and everything like that, is annoyed that he is being called on to defend democracy, even though it may be injurious to him or something like that. And so he is starting to get angry with the victim. And the victim is 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 Ukraine. And he's starting to get angry. It's like, well, what do they want from me? You know, I, I got a, you know, I've got voting rights problems here. And, you know, I, I got to deal with, uh, you know, Peter Ducey asking me questions about inflation. Like, get ready to be sacked, buddy. Like, you think you're the only person with problems? I mean, it has that quality, you know, when somebody is like, I mean, Biden's you know, core strength is empathy, though. We should remember that. Uh, I was just going to say like this on an emotional level. It's just amazing but that's where the disconnect is also because the media wanting biden is still wanting biden to succeed that's why the the when these reports come out that bounce around like this for a few hours everyone's like huh what's happening the performative aspect of his part of this job is not is falling flat and when the media tries to massage it and make it happen it looks even worse and i think that's you know they're they're encouraging his defensiveness by covering for him in terms of the the disarray and the chaos that's going on around some of these questions so it's another happy day here on the commentary podcast. We're about to be socked in by a, a winter snowstorm here in the uh, here in the Northeast. Uh, so it'll be beautiful, and you know, for those of us with uh, puppies, and we're trying to convince to do their business outside. I guess this is going to be yet another setback uh, in that in the in that effort. But you don't have to feel sorry for me. Or if you, you know, or if you're not feeling sufficiently sorry for me, I think you should prepare to be sacked because, you know, that's, that's, you should feel, only feel sorry for me because, you know, what problems, what problems do you have compared to the problems that I have? With that ridiculous peroration, I will bring this week's podcasting to a close. Uh, We'll be back to you on Monday for Abe, Noah, and Christine. I'm John Podhortz. Keep the candle burning.